So you thought STEM only stood for science, technology, engineering, and math? What about stereotype threats or race motivation? When Dr. Shanann Watut realized there were not many other women of color in her scientific fields of study, she not only determined to be a role model, but also to connect with other accomplished black women. Welcome to the Science Sisters podcast, the resulting show that allows you to step into the lives of some of these women for a day. Today's guest, Asmaret Asifal-Berhe, has an impressive resume, which includes her PhD in Environmental Sciences, Policy and Management from the University of California, Berkeley, where she's still doing research in biogeochemical cycling of essential elements. She's associate editor for the scholarly journals Biogeochemistry and Soil, has received numerous awards for being young investigator and early career faculty, and also serves in leadership positions with the Earth Science Women's Network and U.S. National Committee on Soil Science. Let's listen in. I started studying STEM and I think chose STEM as a, uh, my focus uh, quite early on when I was younger, uh, mainly because I was really interested in understanding the world around me and I used to read a lot and, um, and just found it fascinating. Um, I was especially taken with chemistry quite early because uh, I really um, liked how elegantly it explained um, things that happen in nature and processes in nature. Uh, but then later on, when I had came time to go to college and I had to choose uh, my specific focus areas, um, I was trying to decide whether to go to a straight chemistry or type of uh, degree program. I even entertained medicine. Um, but then the more I learned about the soil and the more I learned about environmental science, the more I thought this was a, a beautiful kind of application of the science that I like. Um, use the science that I always liked to explain things around me, um, to be able to understand nature better. And uh, to this day, I think I find that to be one of the most exciting parts of the kind of work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So the part of the second question you ask, what my role has been, um, I mean, obviously I'm employed as a professor, so part of my role in this position is as an educator and a scientist, works with, mainly works with, um, you know, I work with fundamental um, understanding um, of processes in soil, especially those that pertain to how and why the soil system um, affects our climate as well as particularly why carbon stays in soil longer um, under some conditions versus others. The idea here is that if carbon stays in soil longer, it is not in the atmosphere, and hence it's not contributing to warming in our atmosphere. So these kinds of processes are really um, important. The, the kind of processes that I study are very important um, to understand under what conditions the soil system can serve as a sink for atmospheric carbon dioxide, meaning under what conditions it can take um, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and store it in soil and slow down warming, and under what conditions it can do the opposite, basically, um, release the CO2 in the atmosphere, uh, contributing to atmospheric warming. Um, So those are kind of the most of the role um, that I play in kind of my professional capacity as an educator and scientist. But... Um, I also recognize that, 
you know, probably another very major role that I play in my capacity that I at least hope and want to play is as a role model to um, other aspiring scientists, right? People that are that I'm educating directly or indirectly um, contributing to their research through my outreach um, and even potentially um, through just serving as a role model um, in different capacities. Does that answer your question? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. that only you can answer that question. So, however, yeah, you have to, I, absolutely. I wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but you mentioned your outreach. Can you just mm -hmm. give us a little bit of information about that? Yeah. So, a lot of the outreach that I'm involved in um, deals with either making you know our science accessible to the wider public, um, to even other people in science you know, but are not necessarily soil scientists to actually explain the role of soils in maintenance of different processes in Earth, including, you know, just maintenance of all sorts of life processes that you and I depend on for our food, for maintenance of climate and water. And so I do this kind of public outreach and education in um, community forums, um, K-12 education, as well as um, any other kind of um, you know, opportunities within the university or community setting. The other type of outreach has to do with um, actually, um, you know, what it's like and what it would it take to survive in STEM and get a career, right, a thriving career in STEM, uh, especially um, as a woman of color, which is a, a huge, obviously, issue that I'm assuming is actually what motivates part of your work. Yes. Because especially in geoscience, I'm a geoscientist, and in my field, um, well, I should say my field, even within STEM, is among the least diverse. Mm. Typically, only about four to five uh, black people actually earn PhDs in geoscience every year. Um, it's de it depressing and very crazy, but it obviously has a lot of um, issues um, that lead to that kind of numbers, like right, not having role models, um, how difficult it is to break in into these groups um, that are already established, you know, kind of scientific groups and things like that in universities, uh, but also let's not forget all sorts of harassment and discrimination that actually occurs. And my field has been, you know, among the fields that have been quite embarrassed by a lot of the exposure of sexual harassment that happened over the last couple of years. Um, um, especially this is important for our field because we spend a lot of time in the field in remote areas um, and, and also spent a lot of time in lab and kind of small settings with people, not everybody obviously, um, acts the way they should. <laughs> um, and that creates kind of uncomfortable conditions, even clothes doors for people of color and women um, in all sorts of many kind of different settings. And so, um, yeah, that, all of that contributes. And so anyway, I work with the Earth Science Women's Network um, and a range of other groups that are, um, you know, kind of motivated to increase representation um, and retention of women and especially underrepresented minorities in STEM fields, mm -hmm. in particular in geosciences. So, a lot of my other outreach efforts have to do with that, um, be it speaking engagements, workshops, um, any other kind of similar um, kind of efforts that we have to do to just make a difference in this respect.
<laughs> so then, if you you just had um, what would be your top, uh, I guess, recommendations for someone looking into STEM for them to. I can't say really like avoid any hurdles because obviously there will be some, but just to uh, make their path a little bit um, easier or their load a little lighter. So I, you know, speaking from my own experience and other things that I see around me, some of the things, um, I am sorry, my attention is a little distracted because my daughter was sick and came home early mm -hmm. today, so I'm tending to her as I'm speaking to you. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I just needed to kind of cover her up right now because okay. it's also fairly cold out. Um, and yes, so if I have to think about, you know, some of the top things that make a difference is, you know, um, one is create a, a you know, be part of the community of people that look like you perhaps, but at least share your experience, people who have your best interests at heart. And this don't necessarily have to be people who share your ethnic background or are women in particular. Um, there are plenty of people who want to do the right thing. Figure out who those people are and stick with them because a lot of the problems um, that we see can be avoided if we actually had the right mentors and we knew who the right mentors were. Unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to know who the right mentors are because you're not part of that, their network, right? But whatever effort you can do to identify the very, very supportive academic environment makes a huge difference. And along with that also is recognizing that, um, you know, sometimes the biggest contribution in especially retention at school, at work, uh, probably happens when you have a supportive network of peers, not necessarily senior mentors, right? So you need a community of people who experience what you're experiencing and are willing to help you through it. And I definitely had the in graduate school, and even my some of my graduate school and postdoc friends are still part of what I call my peer network, and that's really really helpful. Just having people in your corner that understand what you're going through. Um, yeah, those kinds of things. And then do such a great job that nobody can doubt your accomplishments when it comes to those jobs and promotions and awards and things like that. And recognition, right? When it comes to time to recognize your contribution, just do the best possible work you can so that there's no question afterwards. Um, because, you know, sometimes the, not fair necessarily, but the criticism that would be lodged to hold you know, a woman or underrepresented minority behind is that, oh, their, their CV don't, don't, doesn't have the traditional accomplishments that we would expect from somebody who had gone through this path. But if you've never been part of that network, how can you have that kind of CV, right? right. So whatever you can do to allay those kinds of criticisms ends up being helpful. Take advantage of the system, right? There are plenty of opportunities out there uh, to encourage um, you know, kind of that, that we can take on um, to, you know, uh, build a strong CV. And those would be tremendously helpful. Could you give a few specific examples that are coming to your mind when you say that? So I'm in the sciences, right? So mm -hmm. in our world, 
your career will be made or you know things that will make or break your career are first and foremost publications and second uh, funding especially once you get tenure track positions so if you cannot demonstrate um, you know kind of your potential to actually see projects to completion and and publish them and get your projects funded you will never get a chance that's the problem right I, and I say this, I recognize that it's not equally easy for everybody to accomplish this, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever we have to do, whatever networks we have to be part of, um, any support we can provide each other to make sure that we build a stronger CV with the top quality kind of publications, um, enough number, but, but most importantly, top quality publications, grants, and fellowships, all of that adds to that recognition. And, once you have a CV that includes all of this, it becomes very hard for anybody to deny you a chance. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so um, mm -hmm. it's in, in many ways, though, I should say, saying this is not fair because for somebody that is a woman or especially an, an underrepresented minority to be recognized in terms of their recognition, usually they have to have twice as much as other people's accomplishments. So it's not a fair system by any stretch of the imagination. Even if you're interested in teaching, we're assessed a lot more harshly than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, as I say this, I don't mean to discount all of these things that make it very hard. Um, I just say those are the ones that help, right? Right. Yeah. So then for someone who is unfamiliar with publications or... Mm -hmm then um, how would they start looking into resources that would equip them to do the job that is not only, not only producing their best, but also seen by others who are on the outside as being top quality? See, this is where the role models idea and peer mentors comes into play, okay. right? If you have the right mentors and you have, you're part of the right peer network, you get your work reviewed by the, you know, the people who know the field who can assess how good your work is or what it should be and give you guidance as you need along the way, right? So this is where it becomes really critical to carefully choose your mentors, who you choose to work with, um, who you choose to network with. Right? I see. Yeah. So then for someone who is in that process of choosing mentors, what are some key questions that they need to ask either themselves or other people or research online, what have you, in order to make sure that they can get the best fit for them? So first, I think, you know, identify first of all who are the, you know, you, you're going to choose your field first, right? Okay. So identify who are the, you know, the, the people who are leading the field, right? Um, that you could actually, your career would thrive if you would work to work with these people. So that, the first part is mostly an academic research exercise to figure out who are the top people that you would like to work with, the, the groups that you would like to be associated with. And that could be different levels of how you rank people top, right? But identify those people first and then do your homework in terms of um, what does their lab composition look like, right? This is probably one of the best clues that you will get in terms of how supportive they're likely to be different types of people, right? Um, if 
their lab composition only looks like a certain demographics um, all the time, especially, which is not unfortunately rare, that's a, that's a first clue that you should probably explore this deeper. What does that mean when you know, they've never worked with a student of color, or they, I, I can't possibly believe that it's because they've never seen a student of color that's worthy, right, um, of working with them. So that's one quick clue. And second quick clue is, um, you know, the first one, for example, you can do your homework just on their website. Look up the names of people who publish, and who are these people? Where did they end up, and how supportive are they? Um, and then I think it's really important to visit the campuses as much as possible, right? Or at least reach out to graduate students in the department, graduate students in the group, um, and others who are likely to tell you the honest assessment, right? What is the climate like? Is the climate conducive for people that come from your specific background, uh, people who would like to do the kind of work that you do, um, and you know anything else that's relevant to you? Um, and then obviously you have to talk to these people and ask, and get your own personal assessment about how supportive they would be of the kind of things that you value, or find out what is the culture in their groups. Maybe there's a certain unstated rules about you know what is expected. Um, so, you know sometimes I've see I've heard of groups where PIs get extremely upset when women in their lab get pregnant. Uh, because that takes them away from the lab. Um, this is hard to get from the website, right? This is where you have to talk to people in the department to actually figure out what is the culture like. Um, or, you know, there's all these issues that are coming out of sexual harassment, for example. Um, there were open secrets in the communities. In some cases, there were informal networks of women in their departments and their, and their professional networks to warn other women from being associated with these labs. Mm. And, and again, this is something you're not going to get from their website. But if you are serious to apply to the group, uh, perhaps even submit your application. But before you make a decision to go there, find out from the people who are there, um, you know, who would be, you know, who, what is the climate like, basically. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when you have, when you're visiting a group, perhaps as a graduate student or considering a postdoc position or even a faculty position, you will meet with a lot of people. And so you might not feel necessarily um, comfortable with asking these questions right there. But if you get, you know, a nice report with somebody, you can ask them if you can reach out and have a phone conversation and just, um, you know, ask the questions that you are relevant and important to you. And most people are willing to tell you, right? Especially if they don't have to worry about it going back to them if there's something tricky happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have to recognize that in certain settings, people will be afraid to tell you things sometimes because they're worried about repercussions for their own careers. Um, so recognizing these, then you have to create a safe environment where you know honest discussions can happen. But afterwards, you know, ask these types of questions. And some of, the, some of the information is easy to get from websites, others are not. Or even their Twitter history or whatever is available in public, right? Uh, but, um, you know, some people make the mistake of thinking, uh, even if they recognize that the PIs or mentors are difficult people to work with for one reason or another, they sometimes make a mistake in saying that, you know, I'm not there to be their friend, I'm just going to focus on my work and I don't care about anything else. Um, but in reality, 
that kind of consideration can work sometimes. You could just keep your head down, do your work, and get out. But other times, it could actually might be really hard to manage and could affect your work, your productivity, um, and everything else about your experience in graduate school, your experience as a postdoc, or even faculty. So as much as possible, you, there's, there's a chance that you might not know anything, right, even by asking. But at the very least, you should think about asking people. Yeah. Great. Okay, I know we got a late start, but I don't want to keep you. Um, if you okay. have another uh, engagement or some, you know, some other use of your time, so I, maybe I can answer like one or two questions. But I have to tend to my daughter more importantly yes. right now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. So then, what would you say that again? I I hadn't asked it yet. Um, but what would you say to a young woman who is at a roadblock that seems insurmountable? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, sometimes the situations that feel insurmountable to us might not necessarily be if we have the right support system, right? Okay. So the situation just might be difficult because the current support system that we have and the current uh, generally system that we're part of might make it seem that way. So it's always useful, first of all, before losing hope to get second and third opinion from people you trust, right? If you have a good role models, and remember that these role models don't need to be your PIs. Um, sometimes it's actually advisable to get mentors for every part of your journey that's important to you for, um, you know, your pro uh, professional um, experiences, for your writing, for your funding, for job referrals, for even personal well-being um, and somebody you check in with. There could be different mentors and role models in different areas. So if you have carefully set up your, men your mentor network to identify the right people you would go to for different activities, or for different needs, I should say, um, then you can get second and third opinion. Um, I, I think I have benefited quite tremendously from my peer network of people that I can go to when something seems too crazy or difficult. Um, and you know, initially, even just to say, hey, this is what's happening. Um, am, I, do, am I right to be concerned, or I'm just being crazy and I should ignore it? Can you give me your quick assessment? And then, you know, these are people I know, people who would tell me in my face if I'm exaggerating, blowing things, you know, out of proportion. And so, you know, that's really, really first important to do. And secondly, if you have people that you're comfortable enough to ask these questions, um, then the next step, if they say, oh, no, no, you're not crazy, this is real and this is, this is important, then you can ask, you know, what would be the right action to take in this context? Um, where should I seek help? Um, and support, uh, but even if they don't know, they might necessarily they might be able to refer you to somebody who could, who knows what to do, right? Or at least has a better idea of how to navigate the situation. Um, and so, I think at the top of all things, I rank creating a supportive network for you, your own personal support network. That there's nothing that's going to replace that because it comes back, um, you know, to being important at multiple levels. So first, as I say, when you see, think of something as being incredibly difficult, first think of whether you know, you're actually assessing the situation correctly. And this I don't mean to discount a personal experience, right? That's not what this is. But 
rather we might not necessarily when we're in it in the thick of it we might not necessarily see the larger picture clearly right so that you know there might be paths away from this there might be exclusions we can make and whatever you know is happening or even approaches that we can take to address the issue and remember that not all the solutions will be satisfactory they might be satisfactory in one sense, but not necessarily others. But at least if we have the right network of people, we can go through these options together, right? And Fantastic. find a better solution. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so then um, just then I'll make the final question to you as an mm -hmm. educator. What would you say should be taught in schools that is not already? Um, we, see, there's a lot of things that I think, um, do you mean in the context of supporting um, a diverse pool of candidates for junior scientists, is that the context that you think? That is an open question. I, That's however you feel to interpret that. Um, I mean, I feel like there are plenty of things we should be uh, teaching our um, the next generation. Uh, to me, um, the two key things are um, understanding of the natural world um, and natural processes, which basically is STEM education, right? Basic foundational STEM education. But it's also um, uh, understanding of so social dynamics, uh, sociopolitical economic dynamics around us. Um, so it's one thing to think about the natural processes of nature. It's a whole different ballgame to put humans in the middle of it, and especially as uh, central um, key players. Um, and I feel like everyone's, not, you know, most of the time we fail in one or the other, right? In natural sciences, we educate uh, students in STEM, but we don't give them enough background in socioeconomic and political dynamics to be actually be able to understand human interactions around us, how that affects people, um, diversity, and all these other variables that come into play, right? Diversity in terms of economics, racial, um, as a regional, everything you can encompass. Uh, but when you go through this, on the, on the flip side, uh, students and researchers in the social sciences and humanities and arts tend to be very well versed in the socioeconomic and political dynamics, but sometimes lack the very foundational understandings of how the world around us works and basic, basic issues in STEM that I hope um, you know, somebody with a bachelor's degree should be able to understand, right? Um, and so I feel like finding a balance between these two things um, across these STEM and non-STEM fields, the, the divide between these two fields could go such a long way. Okay. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So um, I will let you go because I do know that you know you're concerned your daughter is sick, and I'm sorry that she's not feeling well. Uh, but thank I want to thank you for taking um, the extra time and um, sharing yep. all of this. Okay, yeah, so let me know how your progress with your work goes. I want to hear what you find and what you do with it. Okay, perfect. Cool. Thanks again. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Wow, hope you got half as much value from those lessons as I did. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you're enjoying this content, be sure to subscribe and comment to support this podcast growth.